Hello and welcome to episode 263 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter, at AndrewRP. Join me as always is a glorious League Freak, who you can also find on Twitter, at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. We've survived survived all of the me, um, plagues and various bullshits for the last few days to finally actually get on here and do an episode. Yeah, it's been good. It's uh, yeah. I always find that surviving is pretty handy. Yeah, look, let's be honest. That's something we've, we've both done pretty well the last two years. Yeah, it is. You know who taught me that? That was uh, Rambo. Rambo? Yeah, he taught me become a survivor. That would be... Uh... That would be why you've got those knives, I guess. Pretty all much, those yeah. Machine guns. Well, I don't have any machine guns. Mad helmets. I do have helmets, yeah. Although you didn't wear helmets. Well, no, that's true. Long you hair. some long bows here, damn oh, it. Oh, yeah. Well, did, he, did Rambo have bows? It's where I picked up my, uh, my distrust of the Viet Cong. <laughs> <laughs> this is going places already. I know. This is going to be uh, a good one. Well, look, let's reel it back in. Okay. Um, let's 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 go with a subtle overview. To this week, and I'm talking the last seven days, um, rugby league's gone. Let's say stupid. Yeah. Um, and not just in Australia, it's gone stupid everywhere. So, what should we, should we do with stupid England or stupid Australia first? I think we do with stupid England first because right. their level of stupid was pretty special. Yeah, it was. Um, so, to, was it last night our time, midday their time, um, the Super League got together, they banged their heads together to try and figure out who was going to be the 12th team in the Super League next year. And after looking at all the options available to them, like expansion into London again or go to Toulouse, um, they decided to go the safest of all options possible and they've promoted Lee. Yeah, uh, and basically a suburb of Wigan. Um, and look, and it would, well, a suburb would, of Wigan and Warrington. Yeah. <laughs> and look, just down the be, road from St. Helens. It would be really easy to go negative about this, but um, do you mind if I take a moment to just welcome Lee supporters? Yeah, go for it, mate. Go for it. Okay. G'day, you inbred bastards. Welcome back. I know your club doesn't survive every few years and... You got a weird owner, but it would be nice to have you around. Your away support is what's going to keep our Super League clubs living. So don't listen to all of those city slickers in that big city called Wigan. You just enjoy your place in Super League and be happy that you're part of the the big show now. <laughs> like you know, it could be worse. I mean, at least it's not Featherston. Well, same thing. Like seriously, if someone dropped you in the middle of Featherston or in the middle of Lee. Would you know any different? You'd just be like, why the fuck am I in 1960 all of a sudden? Exactly. Exactly. Um, bold move by the Super League. Yeah, well, you know, anytime you can expand by not expanding whatsoever. Uh, hey, uh, hey, hey, hey. They've, they've gone east of Warrington, Wigan, and St. Helens. I mean, if they keep up this, this speed and this yeah. scope of expansion east, I mean... The world's their oyster. They may even reach Hull one day. Possibly. How weird is it that, like, Hull, you kind of got to cheat that they're a city? Uh, 
And even still, they put two teams there, not just one. Yeah, yeah. They're like they're milking that one dry. True, true. Although one of them's an actual team in Hull FC, and the other one's, you know, a rehab centre. <laughs> this is uh, this is going well. Mm. Now, I can only imagine, given the massive contradiction the Super League have done after the reasons why they got rid of Toronto yes. and how they ignored all of those to bring Lee in. Yes. Um, you can only, I can only assume that the reason why they've done it is because of the five options that were put before them, Lee probably has more money up front right now and are more likely financially to survive next year before they get relegated. Because let's be honest, this 12th team is purely just to start making up the numbers and they will most likely get relegated next year. Yeah, I was actually thinking that last night. Like, did they make the decision knowing that whoever they give, because it's such a quick turnaround. Mm, like, right. it, they've literally got to pull together a team within weeks. And I do wonder if they know that. And so you kind of give it to a club that can maybe go through the relegation process immediately after jumping up and not fall apart, hopefully. Um, or one that you don't want to damage long-term. And so, yeah, I, I thought about that last night. I think there's some genius there, though, because, you know, they, they said how Toronto was a saturated market and they didn't mm -hmm. want to go into a saturated market. There's no better way to do that than, than to go to a place that has no market whatsoever. Um, the thing that a lot of people on Twitter were telling me last night about Lee is that they don't even have a train station. So that was interesting because, yeah. you know, right. in England, they're very big on, like, they're very, very big on these markers that, because they've got certain markers that they have to officially be able to call themselves cities over there, and they're ridiculously low. They're like, you know, we've got... A we've church? Got, um, what's that? A church. Yeah, they've got, they've got to have a church. They've got to have, like, you know, f fucking a red light camera. <laughs> they, they, you know, a, sun a Sunday market. Yeah, yeah, they've got to have a Sunday market. They've got to have, like, a town centre. Yeah. Uh, they've got even, to have, like... It doesn't have to be, like, a, a big town centre. Just a sign that says town centre on it. Yeah. They've yeah, got to have a, a, a green... Like a green area, yeah, like so, a tree. Good yeah, lawn. exactly. So, for for people to be like, man, Lee doesn't even have a, a train station. I thought that was pretty funny. I suppose the other thing it's got to be accessible to the M sixty two. Yeah, you got to be within walking distance of it, apparently to have a Super League club. Yeah, God, this is miserable. You could dead set do a cycling trip to all of the away games in Super League apart from the one in France and not be a really good cyclist. Like, you could do it on just like a just a regular old BMX. I, um, I saw some um, interesting arguments, I guess, mm -hmm. against some of the more expansive suggestions that were available there from, from English fans. Yeah. And one that stuck out was um, how much does it cost for the average English fan to fly over to Canada or watch Toronto, you know, watch their team play against Toronto. Yeah. Um, knowing that you probably have to get accommodation for a night or two as well and then fly back. Yes. 
And some people were saying, oh, it could be about 400 pounds for the flight, maybe, you know, another 200 pounds for accommodation, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, that's kind of what Kiwi fans have to pay to watch their team play over, you know, outside of New Zealand. But it's also like a straw man argument. Like, who are all these fucking Super League fans that are going to every single away game? Well, that's right. But the thing is, and the problem I get with this is that we've even got that issue cost-wise when it comes to just going to Townsville to watch our team play the Cowboys. Yeah. They're still in the same country. Yeah. Um, and so this is this is what becomes the big issue here is that the fans don't want to have to travel, you know, or they don't have to fly. Or they don't have to have accommodation somewhere. So all of their away games need to be games that they can access by driving there or by public transport, knowing that they can also get back home after the game so they don't have to spend any great money anywhere. I thought, yeah, that would be great. They can that, all just die in their little fucking northern England towns and no one will give a shit. But that is the root of everything that's wrong with English Rugby League. Yeah. It's too far to travel. It costs too much. And so that's it. Fine, we'll just stick to the M62. Get in your car, drive up, go watch your team play, grab some fucking pickles at the Sunday market, fuck <laughs> off back home. You might get there in time to get, you know, nip into church. Then go home on your way, you know. That, that's it. It's just the footy is a novelty thing for them to do on a Sunday. That's it. You know, that's the problem. It's this fucking small-minded attitude to everything. I can't believe that people were even talking about away crowds. Like, well, that, when was the, the last time NRL clubs talked about who brings how many to, from away fans? Like, no one gives a shit. Like, if you're having to rely on away crowds, your club is dead. Exactly. I don't get, And the reason why they do this is because there's three clubs that have more fans than anybody else. Mm. And so that's Leeds and Helens and Wigan. And so that's why away crowds are important, because if you can attract those three clubs to bring their fans with them, well, hey, your crowd figures look good. I don't understand it. It makes zero sense whatsoever. Yeah. It's away it's crowd. amazing. I can't believe how small-minded. Like, I can't think of... I was thinking about this last night. Has there ever been any sporting competition ever in the history of the world that has said that has expanded to a city, then immediately got rid of that city and replaced them with a tiny little town a that's already surrounded by tiny little towns that have their own teams. Yeah, let's let's be honest. The whole Greater Wigan slash St Helens area now has four Super League teams, and combined would have immensely less population than what Toronto has. Oh, by miles. By miles. It's not even fucking close. Yeah. And yet that region is not saturated for NR uh, for Super League teams. It's not saturated. But Toronto with one rugby league team was saturated. I'd That's suggest the thing I don't that... get. It makes no sense. And then you go on about the financial viability of a club. And I mean, it's not like Lee's been completely solvent in its entire life. No, no. I, I would suggest that you could combine the uh, population of everywhere that has a Super League club and it still wouldn't even add up to to the Toronto population. I reckon you'd be right. Yeah. 6.1 million people. Don't need that. Let's bring in Lee. That's right. 
It's fucking outrageous. And that's the other thing they're talking about. The, you know, this is the reason that they didn't want to go to London, probably because they'd have to spend the night over, you know, spend a night overnight in a London hotel or something. Um, was it? Oh, it's been tried and, and failed so many times before. You know, it hasn't really been tried. What's happened is a team's been given the green light there, and then the Super League just walks away and says, "You're on your own now." Well, and, and has well, done nothing to support it. And people keep trying to compare it to the Melbourne Storm. The NRL oh. popped up the Melbourne Storm for a long time to make sure it became viable. And sure enough, it has become viable. But, the, you know, and part of me wonders if all of the people that are outraged over these decisions that Super League has made this year are missing the bigger picture in that, you know, London was brought in once upon a time and... Super League didn't care. They just let them wither and die. And then, you know, once upon a time they had Paris. They didn't care about that. Um, let them die. Gateshead, same thing. You know, big fanfare. And they died really quickly. They didn't care. Then they lined up, you know, Wrexham. They, they died, didn't care. Celtic Crusaders, you know, all that shit that went on. And then... You know, Toronto comes along and they say, well, you've got to work through the all the levels to get up to Super League. So they did that, you know, spent millions of bucks, put all the effort in, actually somehow did it, showed they were getting crowds, getting media exposure over in North America. And then, you know, the pandemic hits and they die and they don't care. Like, are we just arguing about... Uh, this is basically like, you know, standing over the top of somebody that's on life support and you know we're saying, oh, they've got a bright future. When really, it's they're just an organ donor at this point. <laughs> I mean, like seriously, if Lee rolls over and dies in six months, they they're not going to care, and they'll bring in no, something no, else. And I just up. think maybe we're just fucking outraged over something that is already fucking dead. No, if if Lee fails financially, guarantee it. The RFL slash Super League, one of those two, if not both of them, will help them out. You reckon? Yes. Because they're in Heartland Rugby League. They won't let them struggle, just like they didn't let Salford struggle when they were going through their dramas. They didn't let, yeah, you name any team in that northern part of England, they don't let them struggle and die unless it's a completely dire situation. How much have they helped Bradford? They've tried. They've really tried. And yet... Toronto, one failure. That's it. Gone. Um, And that's what they do. If it's an expansion area that they've got no history tied to and no real loyalty to, then if it dies, they just fucking walk away going, oh, well, that experiment failed. And they don't care. They'll use it as as a reason to go, oh, look, we tried expansion. It didn't work. Yeah, "Yeah, you really put your heart into it, didn't you? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, you know, all there's so many people. This is a crazy thing. There's so many people that are saying like Super League needs to expand. They need to look beyond the, you know, the traditional areas in northern England, which are all little towns and stuff. And they just keep going back to it. They keep going back to the well, and it's a dry well. Like there's a reason why they they can't stay there. It's be, and you just have to look at the broadcasting revenue, the fact that they're giving away sponsorship deals, like. This is a competition that most of England couldn't give a stuff about, and there's a really good reason for it. Like, it's a a geographical oddity. It's a funny little sport that's played in a tiny little part of their nation, and it's one that, 
you know, will beat its chest every so often and say, oh, we're the best sport in the world, but they can't even be bothered to, you know, go go to far-flung places like fucking York, you know? Exactly. So, like, what are we what are we putting the time and effort into this for? And this is why I don't think the NRL will invest in Super League because what are you buying? Like, you're buying a competition that just expanded to Lee. Why would you do that? You could just spend... You could spend five million bucks and set up a competition over in England where you just make your own brand new teams and just outspend Super League and watch it wither and die within like weeks. You and know, then, they'll all jump off the sinking ship, the clubs that you want. This is the thing too. And I don't think this has been looked at at all by anyone in England. The fan base is getting older. Yep. And very soon it's going to start dying. And this is, I know this sounds harsh, but because there's been no efforts to expand the game, improve it, um, and it's now not seen on free-to-air TV over there. You know, it used to be on BBC. You can't see it anywhere. Um, Young kids coming through are not being exposed to it the same way that kids in the 80s were to the game. You know, those those kids who came through and watched the game throughout the 80s, that was the last generation to actually see rugby league and actually give a shit about it. And those people, they're in their 50s. Yep. You know? And so, very soon they're going to be grandparents. Their kids are not watching rugby league. And that's the problem, is that if they keep returning back to these, to the M62 corridor, all they're doing is picking the pockets of the people whose pockets they've been picking for decades. And those people are about to die. <laughs> like, seriously, they better got three, bloody hope three... that they leave fucking money in their will to I these think... rugby league clubs. They've got three, you know, let's be honest, they've probably got three decades left of those of that fan base. And that's, that's where they're looking at right now because once that 30 years passes and a majority of that fan base dies out, then what? It's too fucking late then. It's too late now. Yeah, I think it is too. But that's the problem they've got is they've got 30 years. With them. They're just going to be hanging on for 30 years. And then they're not going to have a fan base to, to cater to. Maybe that's what they're waiting for because then they can go, oh, now we can finally go and rationalise the competition. Like, why? Like no one's going to give a shit now. And, and I, I think no one gives a shit now, like right now. Like we're going to play St. Helens in the grand final. whoop de fucking do Who cares? That, yeah. You know, the three teams have won the comp. Well, the four teams have won the competition every single year since what was it, eighty nine or something, ninety one, something like that. And then, you know, one of them teams died, so we're down to three of those teams that share the competition. And who cares? Like, who's who's getting all pumped up to, you know, oh, who's going to win next year's grand final? We'll take a wild fucking guess. Yeah, you can narrow it down to three clubs, and that's the other problem is that. So long as you've got a system whereby three clubs have dominated the competition since 1996, think about that, 25 years, only three clubs have been successful there, like continuously since 96. That's absurd. Yeah. And that means that all of the TV, all of the eyes, all of the money, all of the sponsors, and all of the potential buyers of clubs are only looking at those three clubs because they know that that's the only place where you can go and make money. All the rest are just scrapping over dregs. And you would be an absolute fool 
to invest a single cent in a Super League club because you look at how much money was spent by the people that were back in the Toronto Wolfpack and then a global pandemic hits. And look, I know they had some problems and I know a lot of them were self-inflicted. But as soon as something happens, Super League tosses you aside. They don't care. And all of the money you put into these clubs, it doesn't matter for shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, too. The, the Super League's shown its hand now pretty clearly, and that is if you decide to take the risk and go and play for an expansion team, you can be sure as shit if it fails, we're not going to be paying you a single dime. Yeah. Like the saving grace for the Catalan Dragons is they can click their fingers and go straight into the French competition. You know, that that's the only thing that's saving them. Plus, they, um, are, they are financially, you know, smart. You know, then they they look they're well looked after financially. Yeah. They're they're running very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and, and look, I wouldn't be shocked if not too far down the line they end up doing that just off off their own back because what what does Super League bring to you? Like they've got the sky money, which is slowly dwindling. And if you think it's it's a lot less for this T V deal, wait until they renegotiate for the next one. And they, you know, they're saying, "Well, we give you far-flung places like Warrington and Lee, and ooh, we got two teams in Hull. You know, strap in for that." You know what I reckon? If if the NRL, okay, let's cast aside our opinions here for a sec. If the NRL are genuinely serious about buying a majority share of Super League, and they know that the TV rights deal in the Super League is coming up at the end of next year, I think it is. Mm-hmm. They're going to sit there and wait for that deal to come out and more than likely see it be smaller than the current deal. And they'll say, you know, you were saying that Super League was, you know, the majority of shares were 75 million pounds. Mm-hmm. We think it might, you know, a majority share might be worth, say, 45 million pounds, maybe 40 million pounds. And they can just negotiate the living share of that down as far as they want. Would you, like, if you get, give me 70 million pounds, right? I'll set you up a brand new national rugby league competition in, in Great Britain that will be shitting all over Super League like within five years. Okay. It'll be easy. You just, you know, you have a team in London, you have a team in Birmingham, you have a team in Manchester, you have a team in Liverpool, you have a team in Leeds. I'd even put one in Bradford, you know, and I'm they'd just be brand new teams, completely new teams, $2 million salary cap, play 25 games. I'd go, I'd go even more nuts than that. I'd get 10 teams and just say, right, your salary cap's going to be £5 million each. You've still got £25 million sitting in the kitty. You say, right, the only way you get into this competition is if you've got an owner who will commit for at least five years to your club. There's no promotion. There's no relegation. So once you're in, you're in. And you get a five-year deal. And... You've got to get sponsors also stuff and make sure that you are financially viable from the get-go because we're not going to be tipping a single cent to look after you. You need to be making money. And then the the, the whole objective of the game after that is to get a TV rights deal that's going to give them around about at least, um, you know, 40 to 50 million pounds a year, which is not huge money, but that would cover their investment in the game. And that way they can start making some profit down the line, but at least then the base the base is set up so that they're not running at a loss. And if they can do that, and that's a big salary cap to start with. Oh, it's huge. 
they would shit on Super League from the get go. Yeah, uh, all the players they crush it. Yeah, exactly. Knowing that they're going to get paid and they're going to get paid well, and they will be paid bef- no matter what happens to the club. And you know what I would do if I was that new competition? I would say on top of the, and I wouldn't make it five million. I would make it two million. I think five million is too much, right? I would make it two million because then your costs are way, way down, right? But I would also say we are setting up and funding a players' association. Yep. And the players would jump immediately. I can't yeah. believe I still don't have one over there. It's crazy. It's because everything's so poorly run over there. Like, why would why would the playing group think that you could set up something that was well-run and well-coordinated in British Rugby League when their own clubs aren't well-run and well-coordinated, exactly. you know? So I, I don't blame them too much. The other thing is, like, they... You know, to say they've got no power at all, it it kind of misrepresents the players because, you know, a lot of the times you can't strong arm a club that just died overnight and then it restarts again and it's, well, take it or leave it, you know. And the Rugby Football League doesn't care and Super League doesn't care. Like, if no one cares, it's hard to make anyone... Say, oh, the players, like, as soon as the Toronto players weren't getting paid, and I said this straight away on Twitter, as soon as the Toronto players stopped getting paid, every single player should have gone on strike in Super League until all of them got paid. I No, I fully agree. And, you know, this is the thing that gets me, too, is I don't know why the RLPA in Australia hasn't made an attempt to set up a UK branch. Well, see, I, I can understand that because if I was a rugby league player in Australia and the RLPA started using some of my membership fees to set up a, a union over in uh, over in the UK, I'd be straight on the phone to them and say, hey, what the fuck are you like doing no, with my membership fees? You, you get the English players to pay. Like The membership fee doesn't have to be much, but they would pay their own half. Then you set up someone over there to run the RLPA in England. It's not taking anything from the Australian players. It's just, you know, there's already a government set up here. They just get to tap into it. I don't know. I, th- I think they need their own thing. It's it, it's a different it would, it would, culture. It would be their own thing. It would be their own thing. It's yeah. just that we've already got the system set up here. We just say, look, this is what we've got. You guys all just come in. We'll show you how to do it. They're pretty much showing them how to do it. Once they've got it set up, they can separate the two apart if they need to. But the idea is... You know, we'll help you get up onto your own two feet. Just make sure your players pay, you know, this amount. Make it some small nominal fee. Mm. And they pay that every year. Away you go. Remember when the NRL players, and this is back when the NRL was underfunded and the NRL players were not getting the salaries they, they really deserved. And the Rugby League Players Association, which was pretty new at the time, said we want to sit down and look at the books because we think we're getting underfunded. And so the NRL sat down with them and showed them the books and the Players Association come out and were basically like, yeah, everything is above board. We can't earn another dollar because the the game is just so underfunded. And that all changed, obviously, when News Limited come out of the game and the Independent Commission was set up. And funnily enough, the broadcasting revenue like quadrupled immediately. 
um, and they started paying market value for the game all of a sudden and players started getting paid what they're worth and we stopped hearing a bit complaints for players about you know money Mm -hmm. so I, i kind of feel like if there was a uk association they'd sit down with super league and the clubs and they'd look at the books and they'd come away thinking holy shit like this thing is like to call it a house of cards is being very generous like i think that the whole thing I, and I've said this for years and years and years, that it's just unsustainable by any measure. And the only reason that the, the supposed big clubs are big clubs is because they've got people that'll throw money into it. And it's like if if the people that are backing Wigan or Leeds or St. Helens, if they got jack of it tomorrow, yeah, there might be somebody that could step in and, and take them over. But if there isn't, them clubs fold like within weeks. Yeah, it's, and that's the problem with them and all these clubs being privately owned. Mm. Is it they can just they can just fall out of the sky in in an instant. It's what happened with Bradford. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we and they were one of the most dominant clubs in those those first decade of Super League. Ah, oh, they were they were like and unstoppable. In, and then what two three years, been broke twice down to second division, and a few years later broke again down to third division. It's that's how it is, and that's the thing. Yeah, we've discussed it before. The promotion relegation system is is a big problem because it means that when a club gets promoted, they have to spend themselves to death just to be competitive, mm-hmm. and then when they can't get competitive enough because they've only got one chance at it, um, and they get relegated, they get relegated, so they've got no eyes on them anymore, no TV on them anymore, um, a shit ton of salaries left to pay out, and they're broke. Yeah, it's a cycle, and yeah. most of the competition goes through it, and even the top clubs have to overspend, and mm-hmm. they don't fucking spend the salary cap. We all know that. You know, no. they spend past the salary cap because they can't afford to get into a relegation battle because if they got relegated, like, the whole business model just falls apart completely, and there'd be no recovering from it. You know, and this idea that, oh, well, you go back to first division and you build your strength back up, you go up, it's just bullshit. Like, tell it to Bradford. Because all that happens is the teams that can survive being relegated, they just yo-yo. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not profitable in any way whatsoever because they might be able to actually start making money in second division where they're winning all the time, but the minute they go up into the more expensive Super League and fail... That costs them so much money. One bad season in Super League can destroy five good years' worth of work in second division. And this is why I'm wondering if Lee going up into Super League, if the decision was made, and look, if it, they made it for this reason, it's a it's a pretty... Uh, it's a dick move. It is. It's a very cynical, rotten move. But I, I look at a lot of the other clubs, like Toulouse, if they come up, and they were there for one year. And I think Toulouse wouldn't drop straight back down, personally. But if they did, it would be a bit of a hammer blow to Toulouse because they've really committed to trying to get to Super League for a long time. If it happened to York, York's a little bit more sustainable. But you don't want to see York have that setback. And I talked about it with Gavin on the last podcast. that York really haven't had that setback um, since they've re-established themselves. And you don't want to see that happen. No. Um, 
you know, and some of the other clubs that were there, I just think that maybe they said, look, let's just get Lee up. The owner has said that he'll cop it all. Um, and we know that they're going to get relegated immediately, but, you know, it's Lee. It's bad. It it's really bad. is. Well, shall we move on to something else stupid? Yeah, move on to stupidity in this part of the world. Because yes. I reckon that, look, I think the Poms are really good at stupidity, but I think that some of the shit the NRL is coming out with is really testing them. It's next level. Yeah. Now... Just so everyone knows, uh, early in the year, Freak, Freaky here sent a, sent a letter to uh, to Peter Vlandis. And he, he put in there, uh, just he's just taking the piss, let's be honest. All he was doing was taking the piss, saying, we need to bring in some rule changes. Peter's gone. Those are some, those are some really fucking good ideas. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes you've got to get in touch with the what time consigliere. <laughs> <laughs> so there's been a few rule changes the, obviously the one that's most talked about at the moment is <laughs> uh, a two point field goal if you kick your field goal from more than 40 metres out thank god they finally brought this in everyone was calling for this yeah um, Peter Valendi said that he got the idea from and I quote a fan. Just one fan. Just one fan. I'd like to know who that brain-damaged dickhead was. I'm guessing his name might be Phil. Yep. It probably ends with Rothfield. <laughs> and I dare say he may have been at about two in the morning when he made it over a few quiet shandies. It doesn't pass the pub test. You know, it used to be great was when we had Eric Sims slotting two-point field goals. We should oh. bring that back. Everyone fucking loved seeing Simsy out there kicking them again and again and again. That was the glory days, wartime console. Yeah, he was pinging them over with gay abandoned fucking four a game. It was crazy. Um, everyone loved it for the four years that it was in existence until they realised that the game was being played within 20 metres of the halfway line and no tries were being scored. Um, yeah, and they changed the rule, and no one ever thought about changing it back until no, because fucking it made, Peter Volandis did. Because the game got better after they got rid of that stupid rule, and now all of a sudden we're getting it back again. Don't you think that something is absolutely fundamental as changing the point system within the game should be considered over more than one letter and more than just an arbitrary, like, off-season, off season, oh, yeah, we've decided this. Yeah, I'd like to see it trial. The thing is, though, I've got a feeling that this could be very similar to the 2040 rule. Never gets used. I, I'm not sure it will get used. Because um, I've seen some people, I have seen a few people thinking this is a good idea, and I've looked at their argument, and they're saying that... Um, you know, imagine if you're down by a two and it's, you know, 20 seconds left on the clock and you're 40 metres out, you know you can have a crack at field goal for a chance to tie in the game. I was like, you can still throw the ball around and try and get down the other end because if you miss that, mm. then that's it. Yeah, you look, people like that are why steamrollers don't have fucking horns on them. 
<laughs> it's, oh, but the, I mean, that's the only, that's the only situation where a two point field goal is going to be of any value. And the yeah. risk, the risk is far greater than a reward. Look, I hope that, you know, because some people are just really good at kicking field goals. Like, it's it's like this thing where in rugby league, some people can just boot the ball. Like, you can you can kick a ball really far, right? Yeah. But then there's some people, for whatever reason, and like I think of someone like Brayton Astor, for whatever reason, he could kick a fucking football and it stayed kicked. Um, and some people are like that. With field goals, they can just kick them. I hope that there are players in the NRL and I hope they're weird players. Like I hope it's someone like a Josh Papali or someone <laughs> who for whatever reason, they can just fucking nail 40 metre field goals from anywhere. And I hope they ruin this shit. I hope they make it so embarrassing and they take away tries and all of that shit. Cause they're just nailing field goals. Same way that Eric Sims used to, and it just ruins it all. And they change the rule back. Cause this rule is so mind numbingly stupid that this is just a, a fucking group of people that are justifying their existence. Look at all of these rule changes, Andrew. We don't yes. need any of them. Nope. We don't need any of them. So the other ones are six again to be called for 10 meter offside infringements. My fucking God. Well, that's going to be really fun because at the moment, when they call six again for for shit, you don't even know what's going on. It's just like six again. Oh, right, okay. What the fuck was that for? <laughs> it's and look, the problem you're going to get with this, okay, is I would not be surprised if this leads to wider margins in games. Yep. And higher scores. And. I say that not because I'm being critical, but it's because it kind of goes in line with what Peter Valandis had said about the rule changes, that, you know, we had more tries and all this stuff, and he he aligns more tries with the game being a better product. Yeah. And so with that in mind, he's trying to take the game back to, let's be honest, the glory days of 1996 to 2006. Do you remember those great days? Touch football. Yeah. Like the like, average the average number of points scored per game was almost fifty. Yeah. And it was it was it was rotten. It was just running from dummy half. And we started to see that last year. As soon as they mm-hmm. changed the rules, we saw the effect that it had on certain teams who would set up for one competition and then all of a sudden, you know, two weeks in and after a break, they found themselves playing another competition. I think it really hurt Canberra more than any other club. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that touch football style play, I fucking hated it. And look, my team won a title in 2003. five, and it was atrocious to watch. Yeah, it wasn't good for rugby league. There was, you know, I, I there was no setting up. There was no earning field position even last year there was no earning your field position you just got there and it was the teams that could score within the 20 that did well you know the teams that fucked it up did poorly but every team got within the 20 you know it's crazy is the fact that the year penrith won Mm -hmm. they conceded 527 points and they were minor premiers yeah that's just that's just ridiculous You've yeah. got three teams that year who conceded over seven hundred points for the year. Yeah, it was a it was a shootout. Like that team that's why I said all year this year, 
the Panthers team in 2020 was so much better of a well-rounded club than the 2003 team, even though that the 2003 team were premiers. And they're a special team. Don't get me wrong. Like they had, they had something a bit special about them for that one season. But 2020's team was so much better defensively. Like it's just in a completely different realm oh, of yeah. defensive teams. Not like the close. fact that the 2020 team this year did as well as they did defensively was a, is incredible in itself, considering what this season turned into. You know, after and it was only eighteen rounds we had. Yeah. No, it's this. This is the problem we're going to have here is that there was a huge jump in points scored per game. We it had come back down after those peaks of forty-eight points per game in two thousand and four. I think it was. Mm-hmm. It steadily came down, and it had been sitting between forty and uh, forty-one points per game. I think it got down to thirty-nine in twenty eighteen. Yep. Um, so it was back down to a more reasonable sort of level. And that was back up to almost 43 this year. Mm-hmm. Just a huge jump upwards. Um, these these rule changes are only going to see that number climb again. Um, and so it just means that the, the gap between, you know, the good teams and the poor teams is going to get more and more wider. Yep. Whereas I think when the game was at its absolute best... In, me, in recent times, was that 2015 to 2019 period where the games were so close margin-wise every single week. Mm-hmm. There was always an element of, shit, this, I don't know if we're going to win this week or you know we might actually win this week because there's only like a try or maybe even two tries at, at most between two teams. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that, that's what draws yep. people in. The other thing I liked about that period of football too was that it, and it, it it took time to get there, but it allowed you to have a gigantic forward. It allowed you to have a smaller, more mobile forward. It allowed smaller, nimble players to that are quick off the mark. It allowed big, strong centres. It allowed small wingers that were faster. It allowed big wingers. It, it, it allowed all of the different styles, and that's something I really liked about it. Yes. Um, you know, and, and when you make a change like this and it starts becoming like touch football, you get straight away a big forward, you've got to get rid of them. And yeah. all of a sudden it's like you basically end up with a team full of back rowers, mobile back rowers, because that's the only way you can handle the defensive workload. That's right. You'll end up with, you know, centres and second rowers who look almost identical. Mm-hmm. Your props start to look more like current second rowers. Mm-hmm. And... Even your even your five eighth will start to be more of a, a centre slash second rower than anything else. Yeah, yeah, that's all it, it'll be. It'll be like, I mean, remember during that that first period we talked about, mm. that's when the your five eighth started to become basically a second lock forward. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's part of the reason why the West Tigers had their their win in two thousand five was they decided to go with. Two nimble, nippy halves. Yeah, and they're just able to dance around, dance their way around these slower moving, you know, robots. I guess is what they were. These second rowers. Yep. Um, and then sure enough, it was it the following year? Whole whole heap of rule changes. And it, that's the other thing. Valencia's talking about how the game was too defense oriented. 
You think there was forty points per game on average. Yeah, what does he think defensive oriented football looks like? Like I, if it, if it was the eighties, if we were fucking in the early eighties, I'd be like, yeah, he's got a point. But it's completely different. It it really is. So like I just we just had a season in which the worst place team was defensively one of the worst teams of all time. And and we only had like a twenty round season. What's he talking about? It's too defensive oriented. I've got no idea. It's just this is just numb uh you know, mind numbing. Mm. Uh so what else we've got here is penalties for teams if they leave a scrum before a referee calls break. That'll be a good one. That'll be fun. Yeah. They're like, can um, you imagine? You got your fucking. That's somebody that's never stuck their head in a scrum, by the way. Yeah. So, um, oh god, this, this is this is another job that's going to make refereeing just a little bit more complicated. Because I mean, how's a referee on one side where the play, you know, where the ball comes out? Because he's got to watch the ball go into the scrum. Yep. And then he comes back around behind the attacking team to watch mm-hmm. the ball come out of the scrum. How's he going to look through? all those players to see if anyone on the defending team part of the scrum breaks away early, especially if they're on the other side of the scrum. If the other, you know, the yeah. second rower on the other side breaks early. And when does he, when does he make the call to break the scrum? Does he exactly. make it when the ball is in the hands of the halfback that, that, or, you know, because the lock can keep it in front of him yeah, and hold it there. Right. That, so the scrum can't break. Then does he have to watch for the lock to pick it up? Does he wait until the ball is out? Because I would suggest that if you are a person that is watching a scrum and you don't know what's going to happen in this scrum, and you wait until the ball is properly out of the scrum before you start yelling for people to break, if they can hear you properly, right? And that's a second. That's sometimes all you need. Yeah. And that's the other thing is you, you've just hit there is I dare say this is going to see a lot of teams holding the ball at the scrum and the, with the lock. Which is so fucking exciting. Just to catch people offside. Then you mm-hmm. get a penalty. Mm-hmm. And what are they really trying to get? They're trying to get a mistake out of the referee in that moment. Pretty much. You know, because it, it, the other way, if, you don't ha- if you're not waiting for the referee to call break, if you've got to do it on your own back, f- amazing. Imagine rugby league players just playing rugby league. Um. I can see that. You're trying to draw them in. You're trying to get them to break, you know. But if you hold the ball now, you're really playing. You're doing a face-off with the referee. Is is he going to call break early? Is he going to make a mistake? You know, terrible idea. It it could work if there was two referees because then you'd have another one keeping their eye on the defending team. Mm -hmm. You know what I hope everyone does? I, I hope at NRL games, every time there's a, a scrum, everyone should start yelling, break, break. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what would happen. Yeah. Um, a play the ball restart if the ball or player with the ball goes over the sideline. Well, that's just that's getting rid of scrums. Yeah. So why, why make the rule to the scrum before if he's getting rid of them? I don't know. Um, the bunker will now review replays after an on-field referee awards a try, but a conversion attempt will not be allowed until it gets the green light. So horrible, so horrible. After all this time of trying to speed up the whole bunker 
situation. The bunker's now reviewing every fucking try. Yep. Who's turning up to watch a rugby league game, right, in the hope that points go up on the board and then the referee stops everyone and says, hang on, fellas, we're going back to five minutes ago because they've worked out that there was a shepherd in the lead-up and they, they're wiping off your points off the scoreboard and we're just going to restart the play at a different point. Like, nobody goes to a sporting event to see that. I'll tell you what this is. That one right there, that's a Daily Telegraph law. Oh, 100%. And, and for two reasons, okay? One, it's going to mean the bunker is more involved in every game, which mm-hmm. they know will give everyone the shits. Yeah. Which means they can then write stories about how, oh, the bunker's too involved in the game, and it's and so right away they've got content. And the other one is it takes it takes decisions away from the referees. Yeah, yeah. And so it gives him another thing to shit on the referees about. And, oh, why and, didn't he get, know, he, he should have got this right, you know, why didn't he see this? And that's what it's all about. It'll be That's a daily telegraph for all that one. They can shit on the bunker and they can shit on referees. Now, yeah, and now they can attack every single try. Yep. You know, because instead of the occasional one going to the video ref, now they know all of them are being looked at and, you know... I just can't. I can't think of anything worse than uh, we've literally are now setting up a sport where we're saying, "Pay your money, wear your gear, turn up to a game, cheer your team on." But we might ruin that celebration because we might decide to change the results during the game. It's all I can hear when I when I see that there is Phil Gould whinging about how long it's taken to look at the. Why haven't they given this a green light yet? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, engine players will be interchanged if a trainer asks for play to be stopped. I think this is a good one. This, this is finally a good one. Yeah. Um, the only thing is I'm hoping, I'm hoping trainers will actually use it properly. Well, and this is the funny thing. And you, you've, you mentioned something might've been this week when you were talking about Simon Dwyer on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and because everyone points to the NRL and says, you know, what about player safety? What about player safety? And when you bring in a rule like this, you are putting it on the trainers to make very quick decisions about players. And if you get trainers that are influenced by the in-game situation and they think to themselves, we can't afford this interchange, are they going to leave players out there? Or are they not going to stop play when they should stop play? That's what's going to happen. Mm. Is they will come on when maybe their team's getting smashed. They'll come on and say, "Oh, we need to stop play because we've got an injured player here," and they'll probably call it a HIA so they don't waste an interchange. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen here, uh, and it's definitely going to be something that clubs are going to use as a tactic. Mark my words. Um, it's it's a great idea but I can see it being abused. Yeah, so so do I. And, you know, it, it's... The only way it you go- can fix that is if you have, right, every single club, mm-hmm. their, their trainers and their medics and their doctors and all this sort of stuff are not employed by the clubs. The only way you can make that work is if 
all of those people who do those jobs are independent and they work for the NRL, not for the club. And that's never going to happen. But that's the only way you can make that work because then they're making a professional decision on the field mm. and they're making a decision based on that player and their circumstances and their well-being and not on the game and not on the teams. And, you know, it could it could work, right, if you did that. The, only, the two problems, I see two problems with it. And, like, it literally could work. I see two problems with it. Number one, it would mean that if there was an issue that the entire NRL would be the ones that are liable rather than just an individual club. Yep. And we've seen individual clubs held to accountability by former players. Um, and number two, there is no way on God's earth that clubs would put up with an independent person telling them if a player has to leave the field or if they should stay on the field or anything like that because they hate they hate losing control, especially exactly. the coaches. Exactly right. So but it's, it's a good uh, idea. Like I, I think it could work if they were all independent. I think it would work great. But especially when it comes to HIA and stuff like that. But it's... Yeah. Um, you, you, I mean, you've absolutely nailed it. There's no way no it'll ever happen, but that is the only way to ensure player safety at its absolute paramount. Because yeah. clubs are always going to put, you know, on-field results before anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, they'll say that, you know, we've got to look after our player welfare, and they do that to them, you know, you know, for the majority of the way. But if they know that leaving a player on when they might have had an intercept or something like that, just leave him on there for a little bit, don't call him injured until the play ends. You know, might be someone who needs urgent help. Leave him on there just for a little bit. We might be about to score a try here. Then get him off. Shit like that could happen, or vice versa. You know, someone's fucking run off quick. Stop the game. Stop the game. He's got an injury. Yeah, and, and look, they're human beings. Like I'm not saying that anything. I'm not. I'm not even saying that they're doing it for for bad reasons. Like. You know, they run out there and they're dealing with players that every single player putting their body on the line. They know these people. They know the work they put in 12 months a year to get into the condition, to be in that place at that time. And, you know, if it's a big game and the team really needs the player and they struggle to their feet and they run up to that player and that player looks at them and says, don't you dare take me off the field. And they're struggling. Like, I get the pressure you feel in, like, you know, it's like when you see a champion boxer and he's on the ropes and he's he's defending his title uh, and the, the referee gives him longer to get pummeled before he lets that title slip away, yeah. you know? It's the same sort of thing. And look, it's human nature. And I'm not even saying that trainers are, it's anything sinister on their behalf, I think most people, if they were put in that situation, it'd, it'd be like, you know, would they? you'd want to drag that fucker back into the defensive line and hold them up. It depended on who it was. Yeah. But you can't do that. No. Um, when a captain's challenge is inconclusive, a team will not be docked for an unsuccessful attempt. Aren't they all sort of inconclusive? That's why they challenge it. Wow. Like if well, it was conclusive, wouldn't it already have been ruled on? The problem with this is, and we started to see it at the tail end of last year, is that captain challenges were not used um, really for their intended purpose. Yeah. They started being used as a time-wasting strategy at the end of games mm-hmm. when players are looking for a breather. 
just do a captain's challenge here, even though we know we might get it wrong. And then everyone just stands around, has a breather. Yep. And they blow the captain's challenge. Um, this is just going to see a little bit more of that. Because if it's inconclusive, then they can do it again. Yeah. yeah. So it's just going to slow down the final 10 minutes of games a bit. And by uh, the way, once again, we're stopping the game, stopping the flow of the game, and we're all sitting around watching a, a fucking replay. Like, is that what we really want our sports to turn into? Um, and finally, a handover will be awarded when a player does not make a genuine attempt to play the ball correctly with their foot. And this is the <laughs> only major rule on here, which is addressing an issue that came into the game this year. And why did it come in? Because we had one referee on the field and he couldn't keep his eye on the ruck because mm-hmm. he was, you know, on the other side of the field, opposite the ruck. Um, so again, this is one of those rules that would be a brilliant one if we had two referees because you'd have one referee watching everything in the ruck. This is going to be... A genuine attempt. Describe a genuine attempt. The foot has to touch the ball. But what if it just misses, Andrew? That was an attempt. And that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So we're just going to have fucking turnovers. The referee's going to go... Incorrect placeable turnover. Six again, six again. Yeah, you're offside. You're inside the 10. Wait a minute, we're stopping. He's got to go off. Oh, this fucking inconclusive replay. Oh, you scored a try. Wait a minute. Fucking, you know, 80 metres up the field when he started that break. Somebody was impeded. We're going back up there. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah. Um, so this is the problem, okay, that we got out of this year and one referee on the field is the ruck got a little bit scrappier. There's a little bit more wrestle on the ruck, but you also had atrocious play the balls. Mm-hmm. And it meant that a lot of the times a player would just roll the ball along the ground under their foot, which meant you played the ball quicker. And because your foot wasn't touching the ball, there was less chance of the um, the hooker or the dummy half of knocking it on. Yeah. So you got a, you got a quicker and a cleaner play the ball, which meant that the attacking team was able to get on the front foot from the play ball a lot, a lot sooner than they had done in the past. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons why the game was quicker this year, not because there was six again. Okay. It's because of things like that. And this is an attempt, I guess, to try and rein that in a little bit. Um, but then you've got other six agains coming in on top of it. It's... I would, all I can say is I feel sorry for the referees because they're going to have to dig at an awful lot of shit they've now got to focus on. They really do. And, and, like, if you look at this, when you add these changes to the changes they made last season, you know, it, it's just setting up the referees for failure. And, by the way, they made these these rule calls without consulting with the referees whatsoever. Correct. And this is... What a, a few weeks after telling the referees that we're not going back to two referees either. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm, this will be interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I look at this rule set here and I think about what we saw this season and the, the changes I think that it'll have on the game. And, I, like, I start to think, like, obviously there'll be a lot more dummy half running and stuff like that. And I remember back in the early 2000s when we had that touch football style, and I used to think that maybe what they should have allowed was the two markers to be able to, like, 
basically stand side, side by side, yeah. yeah. And I feel as though we're going to see that the sort of football where I start to think that again. What we will get is they won't be side by side, but you will get one marker will be, I guess he'll have his right hand on the play the ball's left shoulder so that he's definitely going to be going off to his left, mm. right? And the bloke behind him will be, will have his left hand on the the um, marker and his yeah. goal will be to cover right. And that's exactly what they'll do. They'll just do a quick split left, right. Front will go left, back will go right. And it's basically the same thing. But it just means it's going to be a little wall very quickly in front of the play the ball. Yep. And so you, what you're doing now is you're taking the number nines out of the game. Man, it's... I, I said when these rules were announced that it's basically like the this is a version of rugby league that is not rugby league. Like they've they've changed points, they've changed how six gens are, they've got rid of scrums almost completely. Like this isn't rugby league. Well, I do wonder what rule changes are coming in uh, in the future. Like, do you reckon? Given given the Valencians has decided that some field goals are now going to be worth two points and some others will be one, mm-hmm. could we see, say, intercept tries could be worth five points? It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if they... You know what I bet next year? That tries from kicks are worth less points. Three points. Yeah, and not because they should be or they deserve to be or anything like that, just because some fucking dickhead... Needs to justify, yeah, <laughs> needs to justify their fucking their existence. Exactly. Uh, it's 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 almost cartoonish this this mm. management at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, what's funny is that people are starting to now finally starting to um, realise that Peter Valandis is not as smart as they thought he was. And we've been critical of him from the outset. Not And initially it wasn't because of him. It was because the media, the mainstream media, was kissing his ass so fucking hard we thought mm-hmm. that's there's something wrong there. Yes. And the fact that we've been able to debate some of the things he's, he's come in, even though some people have loved some of the stuff he's done, um, let's be honest, a lot of those people are Daily Telegraph readers, so <laughs> they all love the fact that he got rid of a referee. Mm-hmm. And the common argument was, oh, they used to, con- they, you know, they confused one another all the time. And that only came about because of that six again fuck up in the grand final. It's not something that happened all the time. It no. rarely ever happened. Yeah. But because of that, and it was on a big stage, they've gone, oh, they always just confused one another. So we had to get one. And gone, no, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. But that's what the media told them. That's what they run with. They're idiots. Yeah, they really are. And like, I mean, with Philandis, do you remember his first official press conference in charge and how laughable it was? Like, I mean, you couldn't say the words rugby league. (laughs) And we we took the piss out of it. But well, and I was going into this period saying we need somebody. We need a dictator. We need somebody that doesn't listen to everyone and they just take control and they do what they think's best. But the problem is, it seems like Philandis is, you know, sometimes you talk to somebody about football. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a big footy fan. You're like, yeah. And they, then they say, you know what they should do? They should just fucking change the point system and do this. And then, like, you just want to eject. You want to <laughs> press an eject button and get the fuck out of the conversation. Yes. Because you can't stand there and say, hey, 
you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that Peter Volandis might be that person. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about next year. So I'm, hope, I'm hoping it doesn't have um, too negative an impact on, on play, but I, I've, I don't have high hopes of that. Yeah, it, it's just going to be like touch footy. I can't imagine it being any different. No. And look, let's be honest. If a two-point field goal is kicked, I'm going to say it right now. You can bet your ass it'll be in a game against the West Tigers and the Tigers will lose. <laughs> I think uh, it'd, be be the, it'd be good if the West Tigers had like a half that was good at, at uh, making... Tough decisions, kicking, kicking, field goals, kicking, kicking field goals. Kicking field goals from 50 metres out, for example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would be handy. Yeah, actually, it'd be cool if they had a half at all. But anyway, um, yeah, it's going to be... The, the funniest thing I saw with the two-point thing is that people said, oh, it'll help get rid of golden point games. And I'm thinking to myself, like, like how? Yeah. How? You can be... You know, you can be up by two points and it can be turned into a golden point game because they kick a 40-metre a field goal. Like, the other thing oh, about that is, why, why do they want to get rid of golden point games? I mean, they wanted golden point to get rid of draws. Now all of a sudden they want draws again? Yeah, I don't get it. Um, like the other it, thing is, like, the chances of someone having a crack at a field goal mm-hmm. from that distance out, either to win a game or to level a game, is exactly the same as it currently is right now. Yeah. So it's it's just pointless, other than the fact that there's extra points. It's pointless. <laughs> you know, I've just thought, you know what I think might be the next thing that they do? What's that? They'll say for golden point, and, and this will be, they will get this from the NFL. They'll say in golden point, if you score a field goal, or one of these two-point field goals, or a penalty, the other team, you you then have to kick off to the other team, and the other team gets a set to try and score a try to win the game. Yes. And they'll they'll say, like, this is revolutionary. This is going to make it so amazing. You should see the NFL when they do it. And it's like Mm. you're literally taking it from the NFL where there is no change of possession for the four downs, and that's why they have to do that because there's no change of possession for the four downs. There's no contest for the ball. I bet that comes into the uh, conversation, and when I say the conversation, I mean the fucking morons that are in mainstream media. <sighs> I fear that you absolutely nailed that. Yeah. Um, let's see if we can do something a bit more positive. Yeah. Um, had any emails? We did, but hang oh. on. We got, we got one more bit of fucking stupid shit to talk about. Oh, yes. What's that? The Kangaroos Merit Team. Oh, yes. <laughs> what the fuck is that about? Well, because... There's no not test. Playing, yeah, but there's no test matches. And so they needed to be able to reward the players that earned hundreds of thousands, if not millions of bucks this year to play rugby league and who took part in the State of Origin series. So they named a 
Australian Kangaroos Maritime. This team that has a history more than a century old, they needed to make a bullshit, fictitious version of it that will not play anyone. And they did it like on fucking December, like what was it, 13, 12, yeah. some, some bullshit like that. So should I go through the team? May as well. This, this is kind of like the um, Australian All-Stars team in the AFL, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. They have a team, much. but they've got no one to play against. Yeah, a, a fucking stupid idea. Yeah, give us the team. Okay, so the team is uh, James Tedesco, Josh Adokar, Dane Gagai, Jack Whiten. Like, how the fuck? Um, Daniel Tupo, Cameron Munster, Nathan Cleary, Josh Papali, Damien Cook, Christian Welch, Boyd Cordner. How? Yeah. Felice Cafusi, Cameron Murray, Ryan Pappenhausen, didn't play Origin, uh, Payne Haas, Angus Crichton, and Tino, and I get ba- his name. You say Pharmacy Louis or something like that? Yes. Yeah, big Tino. Yeah, yeah, I think you got it. Yeah. I always, I just call him Tino. Yeah, big Tino. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so that, well, he actually he- deserved it to be in the team, but... Congratulations to all those players who will not get a test appearance to that. Yeah. If only there was some way to reward State of Origin players. Oh, that's right. That's what the money's for. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of money. So much money. Oh, man. Anyway, so now, now we can move on to bigger and better things. Something more positive. Yeah, we've done all the stupid stuff in news today. Yeah. Man, it was so much stupid stuff. Gosh. Anyway, so we did get an email. Uh, Where is it? It's here. It's from Adam Webb, who's a long-time listener. He's a long-time follower of uh, me on Twitter as well. Oh, good thing. He says, uh, and the subject is Gavin Wilson, who we talked to in the last episode. He says, interesting interview with Gavin Wilson. The part that most caught my attention was when he said that the rugby uh, rugby football league championship was developing well over the last five to six seasons. From listening to you guys analyse British rugby league in its perilous position... Gavin can't be right, can he? The podcast is great content as always. Merry Christmas and thanks for being the only footy podcast that continues in the off season. So that's very nice of him to say. No, I, I agree. The, the The second division has been improving. I mean, the crowd yeah. numbers have slowly increased. Um, a lot of that comes from the fact that they actually did have expansion that they embraced there. They had Toulouse. They mm. did have London in there. They also had the Toronto Wolfpack in there. Yeah, and I, I think that the the point ad uh, the point Gavin was trying to make in that podcast too is that the the step between the two isn't what it once was. You know, fifteen years ago it was gigantic, it was yes. absolutely gigantic. But because Super League has really come back quite a bit in its quality, and the championship for those clubs that are in the championship, it's a really sustainable level for them. And the teams that stay in the championship for a number of years consecutively. And like it's it's almost those teams that are like from say third place down to, you know, sixth place. They're able to stay there sustainably and build for the future of being in the championship. And so it I think that's more what he was talking about in terms of 
the the state of the championship and and where it's at because look if you scrapped super league tomorrow if you just you know thanos clicked your fingers and it all disappeared um you would look at the championship level and you'd say you know what it's a semi-professional competition but it's got teams all over the place yeah and it's actually a pretty good jumping block to go to a bigger competition the other thing I'm finding with it too is, in the, especially in the last five years, is that the margin in score lines has been getting smaller and smaller, and the competition has been getting closer in there. Yeah, there, it wasn't that long ago a lot of score lines in it were like circus scores. Yeah, you get lots of 70s every week and stuff like yeah. that, which is just nonsense, whereas that's not happening now. You're getting more blowouts, I'd imagine, in Super League than you do in Championship now. Um, and it's pretty close, yeah. And third division is starting to follow second division, which is what League One is starting to follow championship um, in that regard. And I was wondering, too, if maybe the fact that the RFL doesn't have to worry about Super League as much anymore, mm-hmm. whether that's having a, a positive impact on the on championship and League One. Well, I, they've definitely, there's definitely an element of them almost lucking into a situation where you've had Say, for instance, Toulouse has come into the competition. They've been into the championship level of it, and they haven't gone on to get promoted, but they've been really solid. Um, And very close. Yeah, yeah. York has been very good for that level. They'll they'll be great for that level. Um, You've had London come back down and start to rebuild and, and get themselves together over the last couple of years, which has been good for it. And so you've had just a few teams here and there that have used that level of competition to pull themselves together a little bit. And at some point, for some clubs, that is going to be their level. Like, I think if Hull KR went back to the championship, they'd be one of the big clubs in the championship. But you put them in Super League and they're perennial strugglers. It's like uh, Sunderland in the Premier League, you know? Yeah, Sunderland, and I only know this because I I started following them because my grandfather used to follow Sunderland, um, and so Sunderland would be they they're a really well supported club. They've got a good stadium, stuff like that. But for whatever reason, they're a bottom dweller in the Premier League. You drop them back down a level, and they're the biggest club in the you know the division below the Premier League by a long way. Yeah, the problem is. They yo-yoed back and forth so many times that eventually the you know it the trapdoor fell out from under them completely, and now they are in free fall. It's it's crazy. They're still falling through the divisions, and that's what you don't want to see. But if they had been in the level below Premier League the whole time, they would have been one of the strongest clubs in that level of the competition. So it, it's weird because the, and we've talked about this a number of times over the last year or so that. The championship, if they added a couple of extra teams from other places, you'd look at the championship and say, wow, that that competition is actually really exciting. And I tend to feel like next year it is the more exciting of the two competitions because there's so many different areas involved and so many, you know, regions that are are so far apart. It's kind of cool that we've got that in English Rugby League. See, that's what, when you think about it, that's what the NRL should invest in mm-hmm. because that's how you become a rival to the Super League 
the quickest uh, the quickest and easiest path to doing it and it'd be cheaper than buying half a super league yeah because if you could actually spend half that money probably even a quarter of that money that you'd need to spend on super league mm. and you'd have championship and league one and then you could just feed through youngsters from new south wales cup queensland cup anything like that if they want to play a bit more you know on a bigger screen on a bigger stage or maybe get some you know some experience elsewhere in a different format of the game and vice versa mm. take them over there and watch them bring the level of those competitions up and then next next thing you know the championship starts being you know, equal to Super League as far as quality goes um, on the field and off the field. And then it wouldn't take long after that for Championship to overtake it. Not long at all. Like, I mean, say you, you say they did buy the Championship competition or they went joint venture with, they said to the Rugby Football League, like, let's do this as a joint venture so that they've both got a hand on the wheel. And it's not, it's not, British Rugby League completely divesting its controlling interest in the competition. so And it means that they feel a need to grow it themselves, which I think is really important. Yes. It, can't be, it can't get to a point where they say, oh, yeah, it's Super League, it's owned by the Aussies, so fuck it, it can die. I don't care, we'll go and start our own comp. You can't get to that point. No. So say they do take that 50-50 joint venture, look at the championship, and they say, look, if we can entice Catalan into this competition, all of a sudden you've got two French clubs, you've got a team in York, you've got a team in London. We could easily bring back Toronto at that level. It would be so cost-effective. And I mm. think that's what Toronto should be aiming for anyway, to come straight back into the championship. Not next year, but maybe the year after, once everything's settled down in terms of travel bans and stuff. It would be such an easy level to grow an expanding competition. I think it would be fantastic. Yeah, You'd have that, the team in Newcastle as well. Well, and this is the thing. It's, the reason why that would be a much better option is because that's where all the roof, the, the youth players are. That's where the, the grassroots gets fed into. Mm-hmm. And it's where the Super League players pinch all their players from. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Super League clubs pinch all their players from. So if you made them all RFL players... Mm-hmm. And you say, right, we're not going to have promotion in the Super League. If you want it, you can go apply for Super League and ask for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're not going to have that. that. That's up to Super League. If they want to have promotion relegation, then they need to ask us about, you know, which teams can go up or go down. And we'll let you know. If, you know, we'll, we'll send out invitations if you want to go and play in Super League. Yeah. But you just think about that. Do you want to go over there and run that risk of being in that competition, which is struggling? Or do you want to stay in this one, which is moving and going places. Exactly. And look, the the investment level is so much lower. And yeah. with all of the clubs in such different areas, like, and the salary cap's lower, so your costs are all lower, and the, you've got a lot of expansion. And it's not massive expansion. Let's not pretend it's it's what you want as an end product. But you've really got the the base of a competition that you can expand pretty quickly for a lot less money. And if you can, all you need to do is put together something that a broadcaster looks at and goes, you know what? Because I don't think that the, the quality of the Super League competition, the quality of football we see in Super League is so outstandingly different to what you see at championship level. You know, it's not like, 
it's not like you watch the NRL and then you watch the New South Wales Cup and you can see the the big difference, the big leap. It's not like that over there. There's no. so many bludger Super League games. And so I, I think it would be a, an interesting opportunity at that level. But I it would be then because you're stepping into the rugby football league level of it all, rather than just it being the Super League competition, does the rugby football league want to give up even just 50% of what is their biggest competition that they solely run? And I don't know if they would. It'd be it's, smart of them to, and I think it would. I, I think it would lead to the end of Super League within five years because I think all of the Super League clubs. I think whole KR. You could go to them and say, "Hey, do you want to be involved in this competition?" And they'd be like, "Yes, please." You know, I think there'd be a number of Super League clubs that would do that. I, I put it like this: Okay, there's 25 teams all up between second division, which is championship, and the third division, which is League One. Yeah. If the NRL went and said, you know what, we'll give you um, the equivalent of, say, 50 million pounds, 1 million pounds for every single one of those 25 clubs mm-hmm. and another 25 pounds to have 50% share in the running of those two competitions. Yeah. I don't think the RFL can say no. And I, the other the, the reason why is because 25 clubs will all be sitting there saying, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and the chairman of those clubs would be like, they they would probably say to the rugby football league, you can't tell us that we can't say yes to this. Like, exactly, uh, it would be way more than a lot of those clubs are worth. But yeah. it, like, even if the NRL said went to the rugby football league and said we like the championship, we like a lot of it, we want to take these sixteen teams from both of those levels, and we want to call that the new championship, and. It, you know, they, they throw in, say, a team like Toronto is back in and, and things like that. Well, I mean, and they pick teams um, strategically, you know. You've got, a, you've got a team in Coventry in League One. Um, there's two two teams from Wales in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Newcastle. So there's some good growth areas there that they could look at going into. Yeah, bring, yeah. Bring in one, one Welsh team. Um, yeah, there's no reason why they can't look at Coventry and Newcastle as well. And that well, you'd have can... to have you'd have to have Newcastle. Like, if, yeah. Can you imagine having like Newcastle, York, Hull KR, you know, London, Toulouse, Toronto? Like, you're starting to see a pretty bloody exciting competition come yeah. together. And Plus it's you got, not you, got much. you got Swinton as well, which will be you know in Manchester. Make them go and play in Manchester as well. Yeah, just buy them. Yeah. Um, Bradford's there. Yeah, of Dewsbury. Yeah, and Rochdale. You make them move down. It wouldn't take much to reshuffle it to get the perfect mix. And that that's just the basic. You've already got a good a good coverage of um of UK, not yep. just northern England, but you're actually getting a good mix of around UK in areas where not much Emphasis and focus that have been put on before. Mm-hmm. And just say, look, these teams are just going to be locked here for five years. There's no promotion or relegation. So don't worry about spending yourselves to death. What you need to focus on is getting yourself solvent and making money. Yeah. And, you know, 
your your costs uh, your your major cost which is the the playing staff that's covered mm. and go to a broadcaster and say look at all the areas we're covering look at the content um it's you know it's backed by the NRL which will be something it'll be at least a foot in the door to start talks about it you know um and, and just but that's kind of what I think the NRL should do. Yeah. Instead of aiming for... Because I don't see anything that Super League gives you. Whereas that something at a lower level with way lower costs that lets you spread the game around as it should be, to me, that's the way you go. Because 70-something 70, 70 million pounds for half of Super League, I don't know what you're buying. Whereas you could spend, you might even be able to spend twenty million pounds and do all of that at championship level, and, and for that amount of money, I, I start saying, you know what, this is worth a shot because if you get that sustainable and the interest from broadcasters and things like that, within the next few years, like your expansion from there is true expansion. Like you could bring in a a Barcelona team, and, and you know, and if you're if your salary cap is at that level set at say one million pounds, you bring in a team from Barcelona. You'd bring in that team from Edinburgh. You can bring in your team from New York. Like your costs aren't outrageous. Your risks aren't high because the NRL's running it and they're backing it. You've got a guarantee there, so that will allow people to invest in those sorts of clubs. And to me, that is all of a sudden like you. It's exciting. And that's yeah. the complete opposite of what Super League is right now. And you could get all of those teams. You could give them a few years to get themselves set up and understanding the whole routine stuff in League One. Mm-hmm. And if they look like they're, they're making a good fist of it and they, they're ready to come up, you've got a huge amount of English-based clubs there. Mm-hmm. You can shuffle them around. Yeah. Move them up and down. Um yeah, there's so I think there's a lot more potential in that market than there is in the Super League. Super League is a it's a fish that's been beaten to death. Yeah, and they're just at the moment it's just pulp on the ground and they're still smashing the fuck out of it with a stick, and they just wipe the dregs off the stick and put it on top of a pizza. <laughs> exactly. And look with we with that Toronto decision, the original Toronto decision, they really showed where they want to be and where they're comfortable as at being and that they don't want to change from that. And this decision to bring in Lee is just a confirmation of that. And, it, you know, Super League's going to die off. It's just a matter of when. And, you know, if you invested smartly in the championship, eventually any club in Super League that... And, look, they I don't think they would all be welcomed back into the championship level. I think there's plenty of those Super League clubs where the NRL was running it with the Rugby Football League. They'd say, oh, look, that's fine. We're not interested in you at this level. This this competition is now something bigger than what you lot are. You'll have to go to the division below. Um, and that goes for all the clubs, to be honest. Like, yeah. you know, like out of all of the Super League teams that are there, you'd like to have Leeds because it's a, a city. You could, yeah. you could live without the rest of them, I reckon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's that was a good email. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, let me just check the website 
just to make sure that we didn't get any at Fergo and thefreak.com. Good work. You've, you've done a bit of this promotional stuff before, haven't you? I might have, hey. <laughs> I need to add that to my LinkedIn. Yeah. Just no. so you know, Fergo and the Freak are on LinkedIn. They are. Fergo and Freak's on LinkedIn. Andrew Ferguson's on LinkedIn. Yeah. Leakfreak's on LinkedIn. Leakfreak.com. There's about 35 million Andrew Ferguson's on there. Uh, is there? Yeah, I think so. You look for the uh, the one that's got five watches on there. I don't know if I've got that picture on there. I should, uh, okay. I should check that. That would be pretty fucking funny if that was your LinkedIn picture. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. I should make that. I should make that my profile picture on everything I have. I think so. Just to let everyone know, if you have had a look at my Twitter account, and you have seen the picture on there of me with the five watches. Um, I've now got facial hair, and I look kind of. I look a fair bit different with facial hair. Oh, really? You'll have to take a picture and mm. show me when we're done with the podcast. Because it, it looks all perfectly fine when you start looking from the you know up around the ears and you're looking down the beard. Yeah. Then it gets to the chin, mm. and it's just white hair. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a bit, bit weird. It's See, not really, I'm not really a uh, salt and pepper when it comes to hair. Mm-hmm. I'm more salt and paprika. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, no, that shit don't work. The um, <laughs> And you don't trim it at all, there. No, God, I just let it go. Good, because that's the only way to have a beard. Yeah, I'm, like I'm not you... one of those bloody... Dickheads are just there trimming their beard and trying to make it look all bloody symmetrical and shit like that. I'd go with the Bush Ranger style. Yeah. There's, I just let the fucker grow until I can't be bothered with it anymore and I just hack it all off someday. Yeah. That is the only way to do it. If if you're if you are growing a beard and then you're like, oh, I've got to, got to trim it, got to make it, it's like, we know. We know what you are. Yeah. All right? The only person... Who ever had a well-maintained beard and can get away with it? Mm-hmm. Hans Gruber. <laughs> no, you can't argue with that. That's true. That's Tony right. Tony Stark does his, but that's a bit different. Like yeah. it, like I, I'm talking about the ones you know, the ones that grow a big beard, but that like if you grow a big beard, right, mm-hmm. it has to be unkept. You have to look like basically a homeless person if you yeah, don't yeah. Do it that way. You can't do anything to it. No, that's right. Um, when mine gets big and bushy, I know I've said it before. It looks like Will Ferrell's from Anchorman when he um, <laughs> when he lost his job and he's walking around drinking milk. And he's that's, drinking milk. That's mine. That's exactly how mine looks. Oh shit! Oh, oh man. <laughs> next year, okay, next year you've got to do that. You've got to grow it like that, all right? Don't do it over summer because that would suck. And you've got to be in picked like Christmas pictures and stuff with your family. And you can't, <laughs> this can't be. Remember that Christmas when I grew the Will Ferrell beard? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Funny thing is, though, that was, that was the last time I grew it all the way out, several years ago. And a few times since I've tried to let it grow out, and it gets to a certain point where it just sort of stops. Yeah, mine does that, yeah. So it just looks like, it, it gets like five-day growth, and then it just sort of just stays there. But when I grab a hold of it, it, it's definitely longer. So I don't know what's going on. 
yeah mine doesn't mine mine sort of uh like it 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 looks all right i'm I'm pretty lucky that it looks all right but then it doesn't really get like you know how some people can grow it out and down and i think my thought is that it just comes down to your hair strength like if the strength of your hair at a certain point it's just going to break off and stuff like that see i thought it might have just been the fact that some people got curly hair so they get the curly beard and it doesn't go down on long. It just sort of gets so bushy. Maybe. Yeah, that's my theory. Oh, you know the. Uh, I, I watch a show called The Mandalorian. I absolutely love it. And the main character in it, the dude that plays the main character, I watched a YouTube clip of him answering like the web's most asked questions, and one of them asked about his beard, and he he like he joked about how absolutely terrible his facial hair grows and it looks it looks absolutely horrible poor bugger and he's just like i just can't grow it it just doesn't work yeah some people are burdened with that yeah yeah it's uh not an issue for us no we're manly men that's right men men grow hair man (laughs) um i'll take it that's about it for this episode then men Men. <laughs> men, 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 men. That's um, us. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I've I've been happy with this episode. I think we covered a lot of stupid shit in rugby league. Yeah. Sometimes we've got to address rugby league's own stupidity because if we don't, who else will? Exactly. Probably other podcasts, but we don't listen to them. No, they're dead to me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> except except for the starting block. Yeah, the starting block, they're not dead to me. They're wonderful. They're my favourite podcast. But all of the other rugby league podcasts, like I don't want to make it a, you know, a rivalry thing or anything. But it is. <laughs> Bunch of cunts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I nah. Just so anybody doesn't, because we've got a lot of new subscribers now. Um, the more the merrier. I've always been like that about websites, about podcasts. The more rugby league content there is out there, the more people writing, the more people talking, the better. Especially, especially independent content creators. Yes, that's, that's true. You and I are both that and both huge promoters of that sort of stuff. And if you want, and I know you can tell the segue here, yeah. you can <laughs> you can support one of the uh, longest running independent content creators of rugby league uh, in Australia, and that's League Freak, and you can go to patreon.com slash League Freak, and you can make donations there every month um, to help him out with all the great stuff he does. And uh, you can even get some merch after a while there too, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah, just keeping with the English Rugby League theme, my Patreon has more tiers than Warrington fans shed in September. So if you go on certain tiers, you can... Uh, you stay on them for three months, and there's one for a sticker, there's one for a T-shirt, there's one for a mug. Um, Nadine showed off her mug a couple of weeks ago. She received her mug. So, yeah, go there and, and sign up. But while you're doing that, right, we all know that statistics in rugby league are very important, and it's part of rugby league's history is documenting what teams have done and players have done. And if you're a fan of Rugby League Project, and I know we all are because we've all been there, we've all looked up players and stats and stuff, go to patreon.com slash rlproject 
And that is where you can support Andrew Ferguson and his quest to digitize rugby league history. And there's no tears on his one. You can, I think it's from one US dollar a month to a hundred million dollars a US a month, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. Those are the two options. (laughs) Yeah. It's one or the other. (laughs) Big and stick. All right. That's right. (laughs) But you can, (laughs) and, it's it's well worth it because we've all used Rugby League Project. It's a fantastic resource. And Andrew does so much work in terms of, you know, being a Rugby League historian and things like that. And there's some really exciting things that he's doing right now, which I can't even talk about. So, yeah, go on to his one as well and become a Patreon of Andrew Ferguson. There you go, mate. How good is that? We're selling shit now. It's brilliant. I can't, I, I can't wait to go back to selling ball shavers again. Oh, yeah, that's coming up. Oh, yeah, that's sure, what she said. Sure people are missing out on that content. Well, I know that uh, I've had quite a few inquiries about how my balls are doing. And let's just say we got four months of it coming up. Yeah, we've uh, we've decided just for December to just let the hair grow out again. Yeah. Just so that we can shave it for the next four months. Exactly. <laughs> that's how you round out an episode um thanks for tuning in, everyone make sure you check us out on uh what have we got linkedin youtube facebook twitter uh, twitter twitter and instagram on twitter and instagram you can find us at fergo freak pod yep um but yeah all the others just go over there subscribe like all the videos um it'd be good too if you can just press play on all of the videos and just Turn the volume down, just walk away, and just leave it on for, I think it'll take about three years to go through every episode. Probably, yeah. So it's just leave... Thousands of hours of content. Yeah, so just open up in a second browser and just let that go. That do would be it fantastic. In, do it in, like, public libraries. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're still I mean, a school, school library, bookmark pages. Yeah. If you go to JB Hi-Fi. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah I do that, eh? Yeah. <laughs> every single laptop, open it up. Open up all the tabs. That's what you do. Get in there, do that. Subscribe on all of them. Take a photo too. If you go go to JB Hi-Fi and just go to all the computers and bring up Fergo and the Freak and uh, just leave it there, walk away and take a photo. Show us. That'd be pretty <laughs> That'd be pretty. Fun. It'd be pretty good if you get a selfie of someone and they've just got like 35 computers and laptops in the background all of the exact same screen on there of our podcast and they're just yeah. taking a selfie themselves. That would be so good. In fact, but- if someone works at JB Hi-Fi... You've now got a job to do. Oh, oh, man. How cool would it be to have somebody that works at JB Hi-Fi? If you work at JB Hi-Fi, can you give us some of those, you know, discounts that you get? Yeah, there's an idea. Yeah. That'd be an idea. Um, so, yeah, other than that, uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Also, make sure just quickly, um, you can drop us an email at podcast at mm-hmm. And you can also go to our website to the comments section there, Freaky. Yeah, go to furgoandthefreak.com and then click on the contact section and it'll bring up a little form. You fill out the form, you press send, boom. We Job's will done. answer all your questions. Yes. And finally, make sure you give us a five-star review um, on your podcast listening program. Um, make sure it's a good one. We'll read it out. We'll also put it up on our uh, podcast website. We'll make you famous. We will, yeah. And make it something uh, positive but completely irrelevant to the podcast. That'd be brilliant. Yeah. Um, maybe a recipe for something that you like. Um, if there's any good koala recipes, 
is not actually koala tastes like shit. Damn. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, what would be a good? I don't know. Good. I doubt there's any recipes for echidna. They're endangered. Yeah. But they're delicious, apparently. I wonder if they if you deep fried their uh, thorns, whether they'd be like French fries. That reminds me of ah, oh, what? If there's some sort of animal. What is it? Um, I think it. I think it's there's these certain sorts of fish where if you you ta- you obviously. You know when you you bone a fish, right? Mm. But you can have it so that the skeleton is all still together for the most part, it, and then you can dip that into a like a batter, and then you deep fry it, and then you can eat you can like eat the the fish like the bones and stuff, and the bones go all crispy. You can eat it. Wow! Yeah, I'll have to look up what type of fish it is. That's that's a value for money, fish. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't remember what type of fish it is. I wish I could remember. Damn. Maybe a fish finger. I don't know. Fish fingers, just like, I wonder what part of the fishes fish fingers are made of. The fingers, duh. <laughs> the fingers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, look, before we go down that rabbit hole, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and uh, we'll catch you all next time.